Hey there, future millionaires and millionaires. I want to talk about an important aspect of building wealth, your mindset. As many of you know, having a millionaire mindset is crucial for achieving financial success. But what if I told you there was a way to take your mindset and your money to the next level? That's where money mentoring comes in. Over the years, I've had several money mentors myself, and it's been a game changer. It's helped me break through my mental blocks, overcome limiting beliefs, and achieve my financial goals. Most of all, mentors help me see future possibilities and unlock my full potential. That's why I'm inviting you to check out my financial coaching and mentoring program. My coaches and I focus on helping you reshape your money mindset, create a vision for your financial future, mastering the money basics like budgeting, building and repairing your credit, and growing your income. And then when you've got the basics down, we work on investing strategies and putting together your own millionaire plan, just like I did when I was 25 years old. And lastly, we'll talk about giving your money a purpose. Whether you're playing sports or trying to figure out your money, a coach is going to help you perform better. If you want to check out my financial coaching and mentoring program, go to TonyBradshaw.com, book an appointment, and get going on millionaire key number four, finding a money mentor. Is money slipping through your fingers? Are you missing your opportunity to become a millionaire? Welcome to The Millionaire Choice, where we talk to millionaires and future millionaires about how to build wealth and what to do with it once you have it. We're here to help you do two things. Make your millionaire choice and create your own millionaire plan. Here's your host, speaker, wealth coach, and author of The Millionaire Choice. He made his choice and created his millionaire plan at age 25. Now, it's your turn. Welcome your host, Tony Bradshaw. Welcome back to the Millionaire Choice Show, Future Millionaires. Today on the show, we're going to have a repeat of a guest we had on. Oh, Nadav, I think you were on, I don't remember how many episodes ago, and uh, I'm, I'm eager to have you back and see how things are going because you were doing some things that a lot of the guests on the show haven't done before, and you were playing around with cryptocurrency. So I'm eager to hear that story. But he's a software engineer and lifelong educator. Currently, he's board chair for a nonprofit, reinventing what we mean by learning in schools. And I'm sure you all agree that we need to fix some educational systems in the United States. Nadav, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad we all agree on that. That's a great place to start. <laughs> yeah. So uh, not to recap uh, everything where, where you grew up, but you know what was interesting about your story the last time I talked to you is that you had basically retired from education, or at least that, that leg of education career, and uh, took on a new kind of journey. Yeah. So I was an award-winning physics and robotics teacher, and then I turned around a failing high school as a principal. Um, and now I'm um, offering kind of the same model we, I'd been using. In, I use podcasting in my physics classroom, and then I used uh, youth media, so videos and podcasts with kids to turn around that school. And I'm offering that model kind of as an alternative to AP exams. If, you're, if you don't want to sit for the exams, you create media, and our um, validators validate the media and give you credit for it. Um, so it's a performance-based way to earn college uh, credit in high school. That sounds pretty phenomenal. Now, you glossed over that pretty quickly, but... You're talking about not taking a test. How do people process that? Because I, I mean, yeah. Let me let me actually bring because I have a sense of your audience because I'm one of your listeners. So let me just kind of bring people down from where you're thinking down to that. I think there's a connection. So, um, as a physics 
educator, I'm actually, and as a principal, I'm really an educator of educators, right? And so the best educators, they start with the future and work back. They, we call it starting with the end in mind. And then we look for student mindset. We look for them to have a growth mindset. And that's going to be where you start sounding, things sound familiar to trying to run a business or make millions of dollars, right? Most people want that outcome. And we know that mindset determines that outcome because the mindset determines what actions we naturally take. And those actions determine the kind of results that we have. You can take the same action with two different mindsets and get two different results. What works best is when we take action, kind of we can't help it. We find ourselves instinctively taking action automatically. That's the power of an authentic mindset of really getting your hands on mindset, which is the type of learning I'm talking about. But again, it also applies to entrepreneurs. So let's take a very specific, simple example, happiness, right, as a mindset. So being happy, if that to you means having million dollars, whatever it is, consider what you're no longer doing once you've achieved happiness. You're no longer trying to be happy, right? I actually stole that idea from a Chinese philosopher, uh, Zhuang Tzu, who he says, happiness is the absence of tri of striving for happiness. So there's this weird dichotomy of the mindset um, is actually what happens when you stop trying to get there. And so what, um, so again, mindset causes action, causes results. And so the question is, how do we shift mindset? And really what, it's that authentic mindset piece. What it takes is looking at actions that we we come to naturally. You can't fake it till you make it. That's a lie. If you look at the actions you naturally take and work backwards to see your authentic mindset, your perspective, then you have your hands on something and you can start to play with it and shift it. So getting into action is really what determines our mindset. And then that lets us shift to get in touch with our authentic self and then start making a difference. That's again, the kind of education I do using media as a metacognitive tool for students to process their learning. For example, as a simple kind of cheeky example, but I mean it, if you make a donation to us at hs.credit to our cause, in the moment, a lot of us give to nonprofits every year, but we don't take advantage of that sacred moment when we're giving the money to be present to that mindset. Because if we look at our life from within that context of being generous, right, of as if we already had the money, that's kind of the kind of thing you do when you have money is give donations. When you're in that action brings on a mindset. And if we take a moment after we've made a donation to be present to it, we can start noticing things about our lives a little differently. It opens an opportunity to take different types of actions because our mindset is one of being someone who already has money. We've made a donation. That's what we're up to at HS Credit, which is the team I, uh, I'm leading. Um, we believe that the most important cause is education because the most important resource is our kids. And we are really into that kind of hands-on work ethic type of education by having kids be creators of content rather than consumers. They produce content and we validate it rather than take a test. So that's kind of tying together. It's that, you know, wouldn't it be nice if you had that kind of learning in high school that kind of that taught you how to be an entrepreneur, taught you how to adjust your actions based on going back and reverse engineering your mindset so that you can start realizing what your mindset is and shifting it. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful way of looking at things. Uh, you know, one of the things I've gotten into, oh man, probably in the last, I don't know, half, half dozen years or so is this concept of how, really not just jacked up our educational system is but how lacking it is in a, in really developing us in the gifts and talents that we have each of us have you know it's it's really designed and you could probably talk more about this if you want but about uh creating a workforce you know all the way back to the industrial age where they didn't need people who were free independent thinkers they needed automatons right. that would go into the you know the factories and actually produce products and and we're still right. on that same educational system today where you're not creating free thinkers, you're creating um, robots. Well, robots. Robots. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. 
Yeah. And even with my own kids, you know, I've got six kids and it's been very fascinating to me just to watch how they learn versus how I learned even because when I was trying to help my kids in school, I was trying to instruct them based on my personal dynamic of how I learned. And uh, probably the first time it really shook me, my oldest child is is fairly similar to me in some ways. Um, He struggled with some of the same things. He was really good at math, probably not as good as memorization. So I struggle with memorization of like long passages, like of, of, of poems and things like that. So my second son came along and he, I had to help him one night do some poetic memory. And uh, so my wife late at night, she's like, oh, you should practice Gabe's poetry with him. And I'm like, oh man, it's late at night. I want to go to bed. I don't want to deal with this. And so I, I had this like expectation that it was going to be really difficult, just like it was for me. And the next yeah. thing I know, I, I you know, I, I said him about it. I'm like, oh, you need to sit down. You need to write it out. You need to write it down three times. You need to read it while you're writing. You're like all these s- systems, right? Right, right. They, hel- they helped me. And all of a sudden, he starts belly aching about doing all this extra work. And I'm like, he, I'm like, <laughs> I still remember it like yesterday. He's complaining to me about not wanting to do it. I'm like, all right, smart Alec, like, go ahead, tell me, because he's like, I already know it, I know it. And so he started reciting it, and it was like verbatim just coming off like a song like he and he was what i learned at that moment is he was a very linguistics gifted child you know and musically gifted child which i was not so his learning style was very different from mine and uh one of my daughters is very similar to that like i I, she's just very naturally gifted with languages and uh is always picking up you know either whether it's japanese she can speak some japanese now she speaks spanish i think she's got at least two She's more conversational on her Spanish. Uh, she's more greeting oriented on her Japanese. But uh, yeah, she's 15 years old. So uh, yeah, and that's that's not me, right? I have to work at that stuff, <laughs> right? You give me a problem or a math problem or a science problem. I'm more like you than her, yeah. Yeah, I'll do that all day long. But but the the linguistics, the artistic side of uh, that creativity is a little bit different. Although I So either side, though, what kids produce is what we should be measuring, right? The quality of their product instead of a standardized test, which has nothing to do with anything other than the jobs that AI is already taking away, right? It's the kind of thinking that AI does for us. And so it's a, it's amazing that there are so many universities and school systems that are ditching the standardized tests without anything to jump into. We need an evaluation. We can't have nothing. You need a way to evaluate schools and kids, right? And so the fact that they've done it before something like HS Credits Online, because they get how pointless and stupid it is, um, is is a testament to the timing of what's going on right now. And the fact that you say your audience would all get how broken education, I think we all see that the industrial model that homogenizes kids to be all the same so that they can fit in as cogs in the machine and be those robots before we had robots, that that system is corrupt. And what we really need is to, is we have a creator economy. We need creators and we need to evaluate the product, the kids. And that's really the ancient style of learning. That's the way babies learn, right? With that dopamine opioid cycle where they get rewarded based on cycles of the feedback and build up their skills. That's how skills are practiced. And so when you practice a skill, you can produce and then some outcome and that is performance-based assessment. That's what we are all about. So you you are right there with us. If everybody saw the world the way you did, I think we're going to move much faster than I expect. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I'm I'm actually trying to knock on those kinds of ideas with uh, with how you teach people about money. Right. So that's, yeah. you know, my focus. There's a couple of things I'm worked on. I work on, too. But but that's one where I don't have any e-learning materials out. I need to produce some. But I think one of the reasons I've been dragging my feet on it for so long is that I didn't really know how I wanted to deliver 
the actual educational material because I don't want to be just like everybody else, you know, follow a model, right. stick an online course out there. Right. That's that's useful. It's helpful. You but want it to be I, experiential. You want them to go deeper. Yeah. yeah. And I want kids. I want I really want kids to grow up with this concept of being able to build wealth from a very young age. Right. I don't want to just be another white dude teaching personal finance. I want to be uh, a guy that changes the system and changes the way th people think about money in the system. And I'm not there Education yet. Education is so linked to um, finance and technology today, because I, I, you talk about making money, I would question whether it's it's value, right? Mm -hmm. It's how do you accumulate value? And there are different forms of value. And I think the younger generation gets that, you know, having a great family has a certain value. They get that value doesn't just mean money, that there are sources of value that they have, privilege that they have, that, um, and and for example, social media, right? Created this social capital thing that has value, actually can convert it into dollars. It's value that is convertible to dollars. I'm not saying converting dollars is not worth it. I'm saying that's, that you can usually convert most forms of value into money. They get converted. You, you become somebody who's productive from a good family. Um, that education really has to do with learning about value and learning to uh, accumulate value. And in our society, the kind of the, the secret um, in there is that our attention in this day and age is the value. That's what Facebook is aggregating to make money. Um, and if our kids can get the value of their attention and learn the practices like mindfulness so that they can be effective with their attention and then own that attention, not let Facebook own it, but keep ownership of it, the next generation will be much wiser and social media will be much less detrimental because owning our own value and, and valuing our production rather than just being consumers is really the key, I think, to educating kids in a way that they're ready to make our democracy strong, to be successful economically versus the passive consumer culture that we grew up with um, where we are told to be robots. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, now, switching gears just a little bit, uh, and we can always come back to the educational side of things because it plays into this, the mindset. You did talk about mindset quite a bit, so I want to hit that again. Um, last I talked to you, uh, you had stepped away from the career educator. You know, you're doing entrepreneurial education now. You're kind of groundbreaking some stuff, but you'd also gotten in some crypto investments. Too. Is am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. So this is actually funded because I, I was able to resign early, retire early from uh, you know 20 some years as a principal and teacher um, because of uh, Bitcoin is really um, what I invested in um, to be able to do that. Uh, early on, my wife and I mortgaged the house and put that into Bitcoin, and and um, that's done very well for us. And but that led me down a rabbit hole to understand. To by the time I understood Bitcoin and why that's valuable, why that's important, it was converging with all my ideas as a principle of how we need to educate our young people for the future. In that, if you look at open source code, which Bitcoin is, people are contributing for another form of value because they're not getting paid for their contribution, right? And so that, and then socially, like I said, social media. And so we started thinking about the, the crypto that I'm in now in this entrepreneurial effort is academic capital. How can we define this concept of academic capital by having kids produce high quality academic podcast or video segments um, instead of taking standardized exams and using those units, those 10 minute audio segments as a form of capital, of academic capital, um, which is a measure of their invested attention of their mind, you know, how, how they invest their attention. So it's the, but the key insight for us, how I got here um, and, and kind of married my Bitcoin learning and understanding with my um, thinking about how to prepare my kids and my school for the future is we just realized that a high school transcript is a ledger. Bitcoin is a ledger. That's all that technology is. It's a ledger. If you know what a ledger is, you know what Bitcoin is. It's a different kind of ledger that's not controlled by any 
one power. It's controlled by a you know decentralized community, but it's a ledger. And so what if we decentralize the high school transcript? And so the government didn't define what a credit was anymore, but experts in the field did. And so every four years, we didn't have to, you know, play these stupid games and do these dog and pony shows, but we could really have credits that are validated by experts and that we're looking for the quality of student work and so that it's relevant to their lives. So um, we started creating a platform that's based on these NFTs, these youth media gets converted to NFTs. And the nice thing is if we ever go out of business, these transcripts will be around permanently because we use our weave and the permweb. So a hundred years from now, kids can still click on their credit and see the video or see the podcast they produced in high school. The technology underneath our platform is NFTs and crypto, um, kind of making a ledger of learning. But we now, since the last time I talked to you, since we figured out technology, we really stopped talking about that, the gears inside the machine. And we're really just talking about, you know, student work validated by experts and how it works on the outside. And in a regulatory way, um, we've actually been forced to um, implement this not as a, a cryptocurrency, just because we can't pay enough lawyers to get approval for it. So right now it's a centralized database, but we hope that um, regulation will evolve over time and we'll be able to launch it as an actual uh, as actual NFTs. But right now we're kind of scared to do that because of the environment here in the States is not one favoring that kind of innovation. Um, so I, we're still in it. We still believe that uh, the crypto mechanism inside is what's going to make this work and grow to be past where our us founders started it. Um, but we're really now focused on the education piece of it, not the not talking to people about what the underlying technology is. But they, I only got here because of discovering Bitcoin. Bitcoin taught me what was possible, which let me then see this and and start this nonprofit. Which, you know, it was just a, what we saw is that the work I was doing as a principal, I now can offer to any kid at any school, rather than having to be the principal of that one school. We could start offering this media based type of assessment to school to kids anywhere who want to opt out of standardized tests. Yeah, I like the flexibility to that. And I think the accountability, you know, taking the power out of like, a, say, a federal government that says, hey, we're going to be teaching Common Core, which is, you know, I hate to say this, but when you really get down to it, like every tyrannical government in history takes control of like what people are learning, what they have access to. And you're seeing that happen here in the United States right now. Like, uh, yeah, even the the Internet, for you guys that don't know that you're listening to this, not to terrify you, but to terrify you. Um you know, they've signed over the access to the Internet, who can police the Internet, what's truth and what's not truth. That used to be within the United States. That got signed over a number of years ago to an outside governing body outside the United States. And so that's why you're seeing a lot more censorship. Um, and it's kind of escalating in a lot of ways. I just saw the other day a doctor in Germany that had released some controversial material and uh, made some controversial statements. And now he's being brought up on charges just for, like, saying something. Like just yeah. what his thoughts, it's thought police stuff, but, but it's very interesting. And it used to be our universities and our schools where we were protected from that kind of censorship, right? And that's why it's so important that, that our next generation understands the value of that freedom of speech um, and the value of their, um, you know, of what they put out there um, and of controlling themselves. So nobody can censor Nobody, there isn't a centralized authority that can say you can't post because it's not controlled, but you know, I'm I'm worried. I'm just as you are. I'm terrified because I don't see consumers yet choosing the decentralized approach. Um, they're still choosing a centralized approach to um, governance, which is which is scary. Yeah, and I think you think the reason that is because everybody's just asleep with so many distractions, right? So when I look at entertainment media, there's so much. I used to be very into entertainment media, like uh, even growing up. Uh, well, when I was dating my wife in my twenties, like every weekend we were spending time at the movies. Like that was our thing. Every weekend we saw a movie, four movie, four movies a month. I mean, that was, that was our habit. We probably did that for a number of years during our early marriage. That was our go-to kind of thing. 
And then that kind of shifted. But when Netflix came out, I thought it was my responsibility to watch my Netflix videos as soon as they came in on, on CD or DVD. And uh, yeah, so I would get, uh, I think I would get two to three, maybe four, maybe around four DVDs. I forget. And I would binge watch those things. The night they came in, I would binge watch them within probably 24 hours. I would have all those videos watched and back in the mail. Yeah, I think we actually were getting four, but two of them were my wife's and two of them were mine. So we kind of, we made a share of that. And uh, I believe that's what we did. And uh, so I was cycling through those things twice a week, you know, and I'm like, that's a lot of time that you spend. Yeah. And it's a distraction knowing where I'm at, where I'm at today versus, you know, where I was in my thirties. I've redeemed my time a lot better and it's a lot more focused on things that are productive for the future versus, you know, not the way I say it is uh, you're investing your time and your money. You want to invest both of those into things that actually return value to you. And, there you uh, go, value. Yep. Yep. And uh, and the more value you can accrue over your lifetime, you know, the farther you can reach. And and that's really the 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 nutshell, you know, talking about the show, you guys listening to the show. Uh, that's really what you have to do. You have to redeem your time and your money into things that actually build value that return value to that's you. Right. If you if you want to be wealthy, that's the key. That's that's really where it's at. Um, people that are ultra wealthy are better at redeeming their time and their money and learning how to multiply it. People who are poor are not. They don't redeem their time or their money. They spend their money and spend their time in ways that are very, very unwise, which I did some yeah. of that. You know, I'm guilty of that. Sure. That's why I'm not ultra wealthy. I'm just a little bit better off than the next guy. Yeah, I'm not sure ultra wealthy is something that we want to be. Most people that I know that are ultra wealthy, and I know a few are not very happy. But there, so there's diminishing returns there somewhere. There's definitely a amount of wealth that we need to be happy and comfortable. And you were asking, is it because people don't care and they're busy? I think it's because of what you just talked about. We weren't educated, um, and this is true in China too. They all did the test prep and the you know tutorials, and it was you know all about ha- answers being handed down to you on an answer sheet and matching those rather than the experience of being valuable ourselves. Our schools don't instill in kids their in, innate value. And I, so I think we have a culture that has grown up under that. And people like you are discovering, breaking free of it and realizing, wait, I do have value. And I think those people that were, um, became extremely wealthy, they experienced themselves as valuable first, right? It's because they offered value to other people that they became wealthy. But first you experience yourself as having value by taking action and being of value, being of service, right? And that's and that's why I think nonprofit work is a great way to practice to build before you take it to the for-profit sector. You can practice building mindsets by making donations, by participating in causes you believe in, because it's a good way to get to experience your value so that then you can see where you naturally provide value and where you naturally provide value is where you're going to accumulate value. It, it kind of makes sense. But our schools haven't taught that. But I'm hopeful that if we can teach that to the next generation, they kind of already know it. So if we if we don't betray that innate value that they have as humans and develop it and they expand it and have them be creators where they offer that uh, to their community, they will understand these things um, a little better and then it'll propagate. And if we don't, I think we're doomed because the difference between the very wealthy and the very poor continue to expand and with this consumer culture, and it just breaks down because consumers need, you know, they're passive. Passive just won't cut it anymore for our economy. We'll end up, you know, getting our lunch eaten by, you know, somebody in Jakarta somewhere making content that we enjoy laughing at. And then that's where our attention goes. Instead of Netflix, we're, you know, flipping on TikTok. So 
Um, I don't think it's that people are bad or lazy or anything. I think it's just the system, the way the industrial system is fading out. And those of us that grew up in the industrial system um, were trained to get answers from a higher authority. And now we have to shift that and have a generation come up that realizes that um, the real answers don't have a correct or incorrect answer. It's a position they have to take. And that's a little more complicated than um, you know just prepping for a test. Yeah, that's that's a lot of wisdom you're you're putting out there. Um, so so you went into Bitcoin. Let's talk about Bitcoin for a minute because I think there's still yeah. a lot of people uh, out there kind of have questions about that. A lot of people, a lot of people in my circles too. I just yep. saw that in the UK. I've got to read up on the story a little bit, but that the UK is labeling Bitcoin more as a gambling asset versus a, a useful thing. Did have you seen that news story yet? Um, I've heard about it on uh, on a podcast, but I don't know much. I didn't go into detail about what it is. But yeah, I did hear on a podcast somebody mentioned that. Yeah. So if you're a Bitcoin investor, you're obviously um, you know obviously pro pro Bitcoin. Uh, you've got the CDBC coming out, Central Bank Digital Currency. That yeah. that's already been signed into place. That's Fed now. Uh, Bank of America is working on uh, digital IDs. That's already in place. You know, how in your world and how you process this, how do you see all that fitting together? Because the CDBC is very counter to what Bitcoin represents. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's uh, it's it's scary. We're going to go one way. The next superpower on the planet, we, is it going to be China? Is it going to be? No, it's going to be a corporation. It's going to be Apple or somebody, right? Corporations are going to be the next superpowers. They're global. They're already, they're beyond borders. They they already are driving the ship for most governments. And even in China, they just realized Jack Ma, they got rid of him. Now they're asking, begging him to come back to the folks. They lost a trillion dollars in, in capital markets because people lost faith in the Chinese system when suddenly he disappeared. So now they're begging him to come back out to re, to you know bring that confidence back. And the, the you know President Xi in China just rearranged his cabinet and he put somebody in charge that really understands that business is in the driver's seat. Um, this is the guy that Shanghai mayor brought Tesla there. This is the guy that oh, you know went on and tweeted to his community saying, any innovative ideas, you know, we've got your back. Global, and I'm, I'm, my wife is Japanese and I watch Japanese culture, which is very traditional and very old school. And the only way I see them to the place, the one area where I see them changing pretty radically is that they worship that global culture of business. Um, and they are being changed because the global business culture is bringing in consultants that are having them think about their purpose and having them think in different ways from being robots. I don't see anywhere else in Japan that that is happening other than through corporate culture. So this, you know, corporations are not democracies, right? They're autocracies. And but there is this new breed of corporations that's just starting to come about with Bitcoin, you know, as Bitcoin offers an alternative to, you know, as digital gold, it's not owned by any. There's no corporation. There's no government that controls it. And if that type of corporation grows and it's open source, the people that write the code for Bitcoin aren't getting paid. It's a really remarkable thing that's hard to get your head around until you understand that our forms of cap forms of value and forms of capital that we are not yet familiar with as you know industrial minded people, but that our kids really get um, in different ways. And so I think if we end up at a place that the next superpower is a centralized corporation, we're in trouble because they will be able to watch us. They'll know every dollar we spend. They'll be able to manipulate us and control us. And they will get more and more and more, and we will become more and more um, submissive to them. And that doesn't serve them in the end because, you know, people need to be valuable. That's one of our basic and the hierarchy needs. Being valuable in a community is one of the basic things and doing good work, not necessarily having a job, but doing good work is so important to us. And if they kill that and they have schools that kill that, we're going to be in trouble either locally if, if that's just here or if it happens globally, we're going to be in trouble globally as a species, I think. 
Um, so I am extremely concerned, but I think it's also these moments of change are huge moments of opportunity. If we can educate, you know, my program focuses on 11th, 12th grade kids. So we're not talking about waiting 16 years to see results. I'm talking about in two years, we can start seeing a group of kids that come out that are ready as creators and that understand the value of their attention, of their data. And if they start coming to power and they demand that they have control over their um, tweets so they can move them between platforms and they demand a platform that can't censor them, we then have a chance, I think, at this global, if the global corporation that is the next superpower is something you know decentralized, that's pretty exciting. I mean, that's mass democracy being explored all over the world. So um, I think we're at this inflection point and we're either going to go toward total autocracy with CEOs running the world completely, and they already kind of do, um, or we're going to go towards something radically different that I couldn't tell you what it would be like because I'm not smart enough to imagine it. Yeah, I love the idea of that. You know, what? that's one of the things that I've kind of, as I've been working on the monetary system and going, okay, what if if I have a legacy, what do I want to leave? I don't want to leave just a you know a billion dollar company or a ten billion dollar company because that doesn't really change things. I like to think on the lines of like Elon Musk. If you've heard him, uh, yeah. people talk about him. Like everything he thinks about, everything he processes is through this lens of how will this decision help me get a colony on Mars faster. Right. So it's it's a very Native wild Americans would ask would be they in their culture they had built in to ask the impact of their actions a hundred years from now. You know, that's just was fundamental to their culture. So that's a different way of thinking, right? Yeah. Of hard assets, not soft assets. Yeah. And one of the things I want to go back to is kind of, you know, I've been uh studying like Japanese and Chinese culture for a while, I've been a fan of their culture, but looking at how their families were raised were very different than like yeah. American families were raised. And I think part of that is because they have a longer history. But where the family contributes to the whole and the success of the mm -hmm. whole. I think the Jewish culture is like that too, right? The American culture is a lot different because we came from a uh, kingdom-based, you know, nobility kind of thing where you don't own anything, right? You don't own anything in England. And we soared through industrial power, and industrial power, you know, is a different way of thinking of humans as, you know, their their role in that. Yeah, building up the system, but it's almost like a fiefdom too, as well. But you know, where yeah. I'm at is I'm like, I want, I really want to create a system where the day a child's born, they they are born into a birthright of abundance, and and what does that look like? And and part of that's the education, right? So when a child's family. born, you know, what is the family being exposed to? What is the child being exposed to? Yes. And uh, you know, not like, hey, you you know, you're going to get social security when you're 65, where you're going to be have enough money to eat dog food. But that you're going to have more in place than that, and it's it's not controlled by the government. It's controlled by the people or the community that's created the system, not a government that creates a system. Because at the bottom line, the government creates a system that empowers more government. That's the way it's structured. That's the power structure. It's not like you said a decentralized power structure. It's a very centralized power structure. Yeah, very. And unfortunately, beholden very much to the banking system, you know, the global yeah. banking system. And uh, that's what Bitcoin. Big is. government and big business. It's a sham that they're different. It's the same people. Mm -hmm. It used to be at a point that government and business were at odds. They're not anymore. And I think they make us fight. They've set up these camps for us to fight with each other with some concept that big government and big business are. But it's totally the same thing. If you're for big government, if you're for big business, you are fighting for the same group of people to have power because the you know, government is captured by the business and the business, you know, it's, it, it's all one, you know, show me, show, show me where the money is. And I don't care about making the laws. Right. Well, I was going to say, Anna, inside of that too, this trick that, uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard this, the uniparty system versus a two-party system. Yeah. We don't yeah. have really a two-party system at all. 
there there are some good people in both parties. You know, yes. I like I love Tulsi Gabbard. Listening to her, I think she's spilling spill a lot mm-hmm. of wisdom. Joe Manchin, there's a few others at the top, but yep. you know, same way on the Republican side. But but uh, even in, I think in a lot of these countries, the vast majority of the politicians are compromised. Um, yep. You know, the way I say it, they're either in on it, they're either in on the whole thing, or you know, they're being blackmailed. Or why else would you be a politician? If you're yeah. not making money off it, why would you do that for a living? And the fact that you're making money off it means you're captured. I totally agree. I think the way to think about that legacy that you're talking about is hard assets like gold, right? Mm-hmm. And so the difference between hard versus soft, and that's what the, what we're creating is academic capital as a hard asset, not a soft asset. Right now, soft asset is credits that you got on a transcript that your own teacher evaluates and gives you the grade. And it's kind of based on how well you bat your eyes and, you know, and, and talk sweet things to the teacher right before they put in the grades has, has very little to do with some consistent evaluation that's objective or that's, um, you know, each, there are individual teachers with integrity, individual schools, maybe, but so those soft assets is just like soft money. It just gets printed freely because the politician wants graduation rates to tick up. So they pressure the teachers to, you know, pass more kids and they offer more credits. A hard asset are, you know, is one that it, they're externally validated that's hard to earn. And the same thing with gold and Bitcoin. If you're willing to go digital, um, it's a hard asset. It can't, nobody can print more of it, right? There's a limited amount and that makes it hard. You can't, it's just thinking about leaving value that's hard value um, to the world. I think leaving academic capital, being part of um, having academic capital take off and these types of credits that are hard to earn, that are validated by experts, um, I think that's a legacy. That's why I'm doing it. I think it's a massive legacy that has actual value that will convert to dollars. I think it, it it's not uh, some ephemeral type of value. It's like um, you know the social media led to social capital. Academic capital, I think, will have real value for kids. And so I think that's a huge. But thinking of some kind of legacy like that, where you're creating a form of capital that's a hard capital that's capped, that is hard to get, that you can't just print them willy nilly because you're a government executive, because you're a corporate executive or a government power. Um, and that it's controlled by the computers to enforce a law where no ing- individual or small group of people can print it or issue it. Um, I think that's where in this age, it really makes sense to try to build and leave some legacy. You, yeah, you've got some really good ideas there. Um, I think where my head's at right now with my family, because I'm a first generation millionaire with my kids and everything. And I hope I don't offend anybody by saying this. I know this is a hot topic here lately, but uh, I'm going to use the word patriarch here because I haven't had a really uh, what I would call a patriarch or a matriarch in our family line that I would say was a torchbearer that handed down, like you said, educational capital. Like how does your family take responsibility for what they learn? So I went to private school and I thought I got a good education, which was probably better than a lot of other educations that are out there, systems. Yep. So when my we had children, my wife went to public school. I went to private school. We discussed what to do. We decided to send them to private school for various reasons. But even then, what I've learned now is I've had you know two of my kids graduated from private school. The other four were now homeschooling. One of them just graduated. But homeschooling made me take responsibility for yeah. what my kids were learning, and it caused me to pause and and look deeply into hey, how can I create the best child and equip them with the best uh, ability to shape and impact the world? I didn't grow up thinking that way. I wasn't instructed that way from the private school I went to. It was a different way of thinking, and I think I've had to evolve to that state. But one of the things we've done as part of that is going, you know, we want to be a three-language family. That's that's one of the goals that I have set is going, hey – we need to be speaking three languages, and those three languages awesome. are going to be English, which is native tongue, Spanish, which is the coming right. native tongue, and 
and then pick a third, right? And so you get to pick whatever that other one is that you want to learn. So one of my kids wants to learn Russian. One of them wants to learn Japanese. And so that's what we're trying to do. Now, it's going to – that may or may not stick in this generation, but that movement towards a, uh, a higher level of education I think is yeah. a big deal. And just learning soft skills. I grew up doing uh, – like in this, I love what you were saying there about being a creator economy because I made the jump from being an engineer into being a technology guy, internet technology guy. I love the way that you can move yeah. data around the internet. So now I've got a digital agency I've spun up because I've been doing it for 25 years. just makes sense for me to do that. And yep. I'm I'm going, you know what? Source my kids my kids need to learn how to internet market, you know? And so yep. I've got my eleven year old learning how to edit YouTube videos. And I've got him on a, a process of going, Hey, you're gonna develop that skill set. And then I've got my other kids developing PR skill sets, uh, you know, account account management skill sets. And you know, my kids are ages eleven to twenty-three. But just taking that responsibility as the father and the family, the patriarch of the family. My dad grew up in a broken home, my mom grew up in a broken home. So they didn't have those models. They they had to figure everything out. And, uh, you know, the way I look at it is they did the best they could with what they had available to them. Yep. And so it's my responsibility to step it up another level. Yeah. I mean, if you thought you're going to be offensive with patriarch, I, I'll take it a step further. I think in the old days when we had farms, our kids were valuable to us. They had value because they held farm. Right. In, in a way that we don't like to talk about now. But it's the same thing now. If you can raise a child, and I think homeschooling is where you found that, where they maintain their their value, their sense of value, they get that they're valuable and they contribute to their society, right? They are a source of value, not necessarily by making us money by working at a farm, but if we can have kids get their own value to the community, to society, and that's what education is, is about you know, knowing your value and being able to share it and give it. And that starts with family and then it goes to the schools. Um, I think, again, it's it sounds a little crazy, but value, right? Source of value is really at the heart of education. Um, and that's what you were looking for with your kids about putting them in a place where they really get to discover what brilliance they have, right? And that they get to grow and and speaking languages, access that. There are so many ways that you can access sharing your value with the world. So I, um, yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think that, um, having kids grow up in that environment would be transformational for us on so many levels. Well, Nadav, uh, what else do people need to hear from you today? You've got a lot going on, a lot of wisdom. Uh, I got to ask the question, do you think people, you can't provide financial advice, so we have to word this in a way that we uh, don't provide financial advice. Do you think it would behoove people to learn more about Bitcoin? Learning always, yes. And financial advice, um, no matter, I, I think if you follow any advice I give, you're going to lose money guaranteed. Um, like I said, money isn't always the only source of value. And I think if you like, for example, people advise to buy Bitcoin, I tell them you're going to lose money before you make money. You have to know enough about it that you are in it for a long, you can't be in it for the short term gain because you will lose everything, right? But if you're in it for five, 10 years and you study, you might find that, um, or maybe it's gold. I don't really care what it is. But if you study long-term and invest in a way to, to build value, whatever that value means to me, if it's financial, that's that's great. They all should convert to that. So that's easy to measure. Um, so yeah, I I would say um, I definitely not a financial advice. I'm terrible with with that kind of financial stuff. So I'm terribly the wrong person to ask, you know, ask me about education. Um, but, you know, I don't know if it's Bitcoin or gold, whatever it is, find a hard asset and and have your money there because the fiat system, the dollar based system is crumbling. And I don't know how long it's going to take to come to its knees fully, but it's it's happening. We can watch it happen. There's a lot of evidence already out there. If you start looking on the Internet, you know, you can educate yourself pretty quickly these days. When I got into Bitcoin, it's much harder to find good content. Now there's some really good content about hard money out there. And so um, find out what that is and, and find out what it looks like to 
to to leave behind hard assets of any kind, digital or or physical. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. For those of you not listening, uh, do some reading up on that. The the uh, U.S. dollar, regardless of what certain radio personalities might say about it, is on its way out. It is in decline. It will continue to decline. Um, I don't know if it'll be t- one, two, three, or ten years, but definitely, I would say by the end of the decade, for sure, uh, you're going to always exist, as will other monies, right? My brother lives in Argentina, and their money is a good example. Other, all the other monies will collapse before the dollar because we're, you know, the king of the mountain. Um, but w- they won't disappear. We'll still, we'll still always price things in dollars for ourselves, and they'll keep pricing things in peso. But it's not going to have the dominance it does now, for sure. Yeah, there'll be some goods that we probably won't be able to get. Uh, for reasonable prices, and that'll be the big shift there. Right. But yeah, right. and uh, so how are people going to find out more about what you're doing, hang out, and uh, learn more yep. about this educational system and support you? Yeah, if you can donate to us, hs.credit. It's not .com, not .org, .credit. HS for high school, .credit. There's a donate button there. We'd love that. Any amount, even five bucks. If we grow the number of people that give to us, you know, anything, it it helps us. It costs us about $2 to process your, we give $2 to the bank when you give, so it has to be more than $2. Um, otherwise, we're paying for you to donate. Um, but then more than that, we're in beta right now, and we're looking for our first cohort of young people to test the app. It's built. It's ready to go. This summer in summer school, we're going to offer our first credits on the platform. And so if you know young people, especially if they are uh, into being creators, um, especially of audio or video content, um, have them go to our website and click on – it says – it should say participate. I think right now it says um, – Something other than participate, it says something like uh, join waitlist, but now it's not a waitlist because we're launching the, the first user. So uh, soon it'll say participate and have them fill out their information. It's just basically their email um, and we'll get in touch with them if they qualify. And if they don't qualify for this and they have to be in high school, 11th and 12th grade, ideally um, under the age of 26, if they're overage, undercredited. And if they don't qualify for the beta, we will have them on the list for the releases that happen throughout 2024. So if you have a young person in high school and they want an opportunity to have a type of credit that gives them a leg up in college applications, I would have them check us out at hs.credit and apply. Awesome, Nadav. Uh, thanks for uh, being on the show, sharing some of your wisdom, especially yeah, around please. the education. Yeah, if, for everybody listening to this, I think if I could roll back the clock, there are two things I would probably change in my life. One would be how I personally uh, educated myself, especially in my 20s. I wish I could roll it back into my teens, but really got serious about my education, what I learned, develop a habit of learning more. I do have a habit of learning, but I probably could have been a lot more aggressive. Um, And then how my kids were educated. That's a big deal. You know, I think I could have started them a lot younger. Um, It's amazing what kids can learn and retain and to give them uh, a heads up. Just one more story for you guys that are listening. There's a guy named Iman Godzi, I-M-A-N Godzi. Um, I've started listening to him recently on YouTube, and he's a young gentleman that did kind of what Nadav and I have been talking about, started learning uh, internet development skills, internet productive skills at age 14, um, spent two, three, four years doing that, and then started his own digital agency and became a millionaire at age 21. And now at 23, he's a multimillionaire. And he he doesn't say how he got to the multimillionaire at 85 million, but I'm guessing he hit uh, some cryptocurrency at the right time and made some good investments. But uh, yeah. check Amon Godzi out. I think that reinforces what uh, Nadav and I've been talking about, about education. Uh, take it seriously. It's a major cornerstone. Yeah. Tony, in- every dollar anybody gives to us at hs.credit goes to having a young person have that earlier, like the way you wanted it for yourself. 
Every dollar we get is bringing it earlier. So the kids have these learnings about mindset, about being a creator earlier on in their life, which is the same. I feel the same way. I wish I had it early. I wish somebody taught me this in high school. So donating to us brings that to more and more kids so that they can have that earlier in life and they're not taught to follow the rules and sit down and shut up. All right. Well, hs.credit, check it out and support Nadav. And we'll be talking to you later, Nadav. Thanks so much, John. I appreciate the opportunity. Hey there, millionaires and future millionaires. I hope you're enjoying my podcast and all the awesome guests. It's been a lot of work and a lot of fun. If you enjoy the podcast, guests, stories, and the insights on money and how it works, make sure you subscribe to the show and post a review. That will help us reach and inspire even more people to make the millionaire choice and discover how to give their money a purpose. And for a limited time, email me a copy of your review to media at themillionairechoice.com and I'll send you an autographed copy of my book at no charge. Keep it for yourself or give it away to someone who needs it. And while you're at it, make sure to share the Millionaire Choice podcast with your friends and family to help start them on their own millionaire journey. That's a wrap for this episode of The Millionaire Choice. Remember, wealth is a result of getting smarter with your money. Wealth helps you enjoy life and help people. For resources, tools, and a community that will accelerate your millionaire journey, go to themillionairechoice.com. The Millionaire Choice Show shares the opinions and experiences of people and should not be considered financial advice. Before making your own financial choices, please seek out a registered financial advisor or certified financial planner.